0: Thank you for taking the time to view this message online. You can connect with us more through our comments section of this video, through our Facebook page, or through our website, nhgj.org.
1: In this message series, I have been making a push to back the campaign of the one who is most capable of leading us both now and into the future. I've been campaigning on behalf of and focusing on the kingdom of God where Jesus Christ is king, both in 2020 and forever. This is the last message of this series. And at this time, uh, ballots have been counted and there's transition of power in the United States. But the idea that we've been focusing on is that regardless of who sits in the seats of power here on earth, Jesus is seated and at rest in an authority in heaven at the right hand of the Father. He is on his throne, and Jesus Christ is king. Well, one of the things that happens when a contest takes place is that there is a victor and there is a defeated foe. There's winners and there's losers. And in this idea that somebody emerges out of the competition as the victor and receives glory for what they've accomplished. We're familiar with this in athletic contests. A runner outruns the rest of the field, crosses the finish line first. He or she receives the glory. Some guys go out to the lake to do some fishing, and at the end of the day, they're going to ask who caught the biggest fish, or maybe it's who caught a fish. A young woman works hard, in all of her classes at school, and she becomes the first of her family to not only graduate, but to graduate with honors and receives the glory, the accolades that go along with that. Now, when we speak of Jesus as king and him receiving glory, there is a sense that it is based upon his accomplishments Jesus was the first to do something that nobody else has done or maybe will ever do in some cases. He was the first and only to live out his life without sin. Nobody else had done that and nobody else has done that since. He was the first and only to offer his life as a complete uh, atonement or offering for sin. He's the only one that could do that and he's the only one that has or ever will do that. He was the first to defeat the power of sin and pave the way for us. He led the way for all of mankind. He was the first to defeat the grave and again, pave the way for us so that we could not only overcome sin and its power, but we could overcome death and the grave and its power because of what Jesus Christ has done. He is the ultimate victor. He is the winner. He has defeated sin He has defeated the grave. He has overcome death and he has led the way for us in each of these ways. So Jesus Christ is worthy of all the glory that we could give to him. He is the ultimate victor. But even more than this glory, there is a glory that Jesus had even before he accomplished these things. He had a glory that was on display in his life because of his unity with the Father. He speaks about this type of glory in John chapter 17. He is praying for the disciples. He is getting them ready because he is about to be crucified. And he wants to let them know what's about to come. But even more than just giving them information, Jesus prays for them. Speaking to the heavenly father, Jesus says in John 17, 4 through 5, he says, I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. You see, Jesus states in this prayer that he glorified the Father by accomplishing the work, but there's also this glory that he's going to receive as he overcomes sin, as he overcomes the grave. He says to the Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that we had before the earth even existed. This is a shared glory of unity. Jesus is saying, you and I were one before this world even existed. We shared in this glory of unity, this glory of oneness. I was with you as one in the glory we shared. I adorned myself, I covered myself with humanity, released myself from this glory of my own glory and became a man upon this earth. And I put your glory on display. And now, because I remained as one with you, I did not choose my own way, but Father, I chose your way. Put my glory now on display as I ascend and I'm with you at the resurrection. In other words, Jesus saying, let them know that I am the king of all kings, that I have accomplished what I came to do Let that glory be revealed in my life. Now, this glory is not the glory that is achieved by being first across a competition or being the best at something, but it is a glory that is achieved in unity with the Father and the Spirit. To be in perfect union with the one who emanates glory because he is the first and the last, the beginning and the end, Jesus, the final word, Asking the Father, Lord, let them see that glory that existed before I ever stepped onto this earth, before this earth even existed, let them see that glory in me. In this glory, Jesus shows us that he came from the Father, and it reveals who the Father is. And I want to look at in this message this type of glory that Jesus not only prays for himself, but but hear this. Jesus prays that people would see that same glory in his church. You and I, who are followers of Jesus Christ, Jesus prays that we too would show forth this type of glory. But here's the condition, and here's what we're really going to spend time looking at in this message, is that this type of glory has conditions around it. And you and I only get to put it on display when we're in unity with one another and with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So let's pray, and we'll look at a couple more scriptures and uh, unpack this idea of the kingdom glory and how it's revealed in us. Jesus, we thank you that you put on display the glory of the Father. You didn't just show us your glory, but you set it aside so that you could show us what it means to live in the kingdom and that we too can put that same glory on display. But Lord, there's conditions around that. We understand and, and Lord, I pray that as we open your word, that it would become more clear to us what our role is in that. And I pray that it would become more clear to us that we need your Holy Spirit to actually accomplish it. So Lord, let your glory be seen, both revealed to us, but also shown through us. Let your word come alive as we hear it, as we receive it, and as we live it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, to understand kingdom glory, we need to go back to this prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17. He's repeating a number of themes or ideas that he's already taught the disciples about. Now, it's his prayer for them as he speaks to the Father as we come to verse 20. That there's this shift that as Jesus has been praying for the disciples he's now not only praying for them those seated in the room or those praying with him but Jesus actually says a prayer for you and for i he is saying a prayer that spans through the ages he's speaking words that transcend the moment and Jesus's words in this passage of scripture are not only to his immediate audience, but they are to you and I who are now reading it thousand years later. John seventeen twenty to 23. Jesus said, I do not ask for these only, meaning the disciples in the room, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you transcends that moment with the disciples and fast forward over 2000 years later that Jesus is praying this for you and for I that they may be one just as you father are in me and I in you that they may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me don't miss that part that's a critical piece for us to understand the importance of This prayer that Jesus is praying so that the world may believe that you have sent me. There is a glory that is upon Jesus Christ that supersedes any other type of glory that could be accomplished through achievement, through being first or being the best at it. This is a glory that was given to Jesus and that glory is on display through his unity with the father. It's on display, he says, when you and I, his body, are one and walking in unity, that they may all be one, one in the union of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. What I'm saying by this is that by accomplishing something that really garners people's attention, that our unity not only honors the Lord, and gives Him glory, but actually puts on display the glory of Jesus Christ to those around us. It gathers their attention when Christ's body is walking in unity with one another and with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, if you've watched athletic events, you've undoubtedly seen individuals, men or women, who when they cross the goal line, they may point heavenward. When they score a touchdown or hit a home run, they point heavenward as to say, I'm giving God glory for this. Not, this isn't about me, but I want to be a witness for Jesus. And that's all well and good. And, and, and that's a way of having a testimony about the Lord. But I want to suggest to you that me getting attention and then pointing upward doesn't give Jesus nearly as much glory as when I and another Christian are walking in unity with one another. Jesus Christ receives so much more glory when we, the followers of Christ, are walking in unity with one another. So much more glory than when we accomplish something great and then point to him as though he gets the glory for that and we don't. Again, that's a great testimony. That's wonderful. But it pales in comparison to the testimony that's given when we do something that we might think is simple. We might not think much of it. Simply walking in unity points to the glory of Christ more than anything else that we can do. According to Jesus, it's his union with the Father and the Spirit that radiates kingdom glory out of his life more than anything else in his life. And it's out of that glory that the world believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that what he accomplished is true. This is why in Jesus' teaching and throughout the other New Testament writings, the theme of unity, of oneness, of union, of being together, of the the one another's that we can do, love one another, forgive one another, uh, consider one another uh, uh, above yourself. Over and over, this is commanded and taught in the New Testament, in Jesus' writings and in the writings to the early church. This is a core idea, a foundational idea that our unity is essential for our witness. Not only is it essential for our witness, unity in the body of Christ is essential for our survival. And when disunity and divisions are prevalent, you see a dying expression of Christ's body. You see a church that is suffering and struggling just to stay afloat and dying and not at all providing a witness to the world around it. This is a dead expression of the body of Christ. When no longer unity is present within a body, it no longer has a witness to the glory of Jesus Christ, but instead it maligns his name, and it points to the nature of the world instead of the nature of the kingdom of God. Unity, please, please hear me. Unity is essential in the kingdom of God, and it points heavenward to Jesus more than any individual's Personal acts that would glorify Christ. Our unity points to a resurrected Christ and to his glory. There are two types of being one, two types of union that we live out as followers of Jesus. The first is our unity with one another and our unity with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. These two things combined present this witness of the glory of Jesus Christ. If our efforts are only aimed at unity with one another, it makes us a very harmonious club. <laughs> we have pointed to this idea that we can be an effective at organizing and effective at conflict resolution, which are great qualities and skills, but they don't really reveal Jesus Christ. There's many clubs and groups that can walk in unity even without Christ they can just be good at conflict resolution and organizing so while we need unity that alone with one another that alone doesn't point to Jesus and if our efforts are only aimed at unity with the Father Son and Holy Spirit but not with one another it points to religious zeal but again it's a poor revelation of who Jesus Christ is In fact, Scripture teaches that we'll never actually be in unity with the Father, Son, and Spirit if we aren't in unity with one another. We can't at one moment be at odds and hating our brother, our sister in Christ, and also say that we love and are embracing the Father. Those two ideas are incompatible. So the reality is we need both of these ideas. We need unity within the body of Christ, one another, And we need unity with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And these two combined provide this witness of the glory of Jesus Christ to the world around us. It's a tremendous witness. It's a tremendous witness of what Christ does when He changes a person's life, that it not only affects them individually, but it spreads to those relationships in his or her life. The reality is that unity within the body of Christ Is the only way to truly reveal the full glory of Jesus Christ. We see this in Corinthians where Paul is addressing spiritual gifts. He says, Listen, signs and wonders are great, but without love, they don't really point to Christ. They don't mean anything. Prophetic words will cease, they're going to come to an end, but they're has to be this unity. Just because you have a prophetic word doesn't reveal Jesus. It just reveals that you're walking in the prophetic gifting. Acts of mercy are good and necessary, but they're really incomplete. Christian unity is the most effective way to reveal Jesus to this world and also defeat worldly principalities and powers. This is true and it's stated over and over in the New Testament, there cannot be a divided body of Christ and somehow communicate a loving and unified Jesus. It's the breaking down of these dividing walls that confounds the enemy and glorifies Jesus. You want to do real spiritual warfare? You want to really work against demonic forces? Then don't start with breaking down these demonic barriers somewhere out there, start with yourself and identify any anger, bitterness, or division that you might have with another Christian. That's the first place to start with real spiritual warfare. The other things, the enemy is not afraid of a prayer from a person who's divided with the body of Christ. It's a weak prayer. It doesn't have the force that comes from the unity of being one with Christ and one with his body, his people. And so begin with yourself. That's the most forceful advance of the kingdom of God against the foes of the kingdom. It's the most forceful advance against the demonic forces at work in our world is a body of Christ that is walking in unity with one another and with the Father, Son, and Spirit, the unity that they experience together. So where does this bring me? To my role. What is your role in all of this if you're a follower of Jesus? Where and how can we bring unity where divisions exist within the church? Well, really, we start with ourselves and what role we can play in making sure we're at one, that we're in union with the rest of the body. It begins with those who are inside of God's family. Can these things apply outside of the church? Absolutely. Biblical principles work across the board, But we don't begin with those people outside of God's family and say, let's fix those situations first. We always start with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we say our family of God is where this begins because we work from a common frame, a common starting point, which is a high value of Scripture. The work of the Spirit uh, taking place in both individuals or groups that are involved in any type of conflict. And so we start in the family of God. And then if we can bring reconciliation to the world around us, we extend it out from there. So my first step, what can I do? First is I can seek a pathway to peace. I can seek a pathway to peace. I should be a peacemaker. And what that means is I begin with the mindset of how can I mend together versus tear apart? How do I begin with this idea that I can mend whatever brokenness, whatever division may exist? How do I mend together instead of looking for a way that might tear us apart? apart? And I'm cautious to say or do anything that would cause a greater rift. I'm always working towards this idea of how can I be a peacemaker in this moment? How can I seek a pathway to peace and reconciliation? Two, I approach all with humility and grace. I begin with this approach that I don't want my way, I want the way of Christ. I don't want my voice to be most prevalent. I want the word of God and the peace of Christ to be most prevalent. So I approach all with humility and grace. Even those who don't reciprocate that same type of response, maybe somebody is taking an arrogant approach or an aggressive approach with me, I still have the opportunity to walk with humility and grace in those moments. Third, I would work towards agreement. Now, agreement isn't necessary for us to walk in unity, but I do want to try to work towards agreement. Always choosing unity over agreement. Again, this idea that it's better to be righteous than right. Sometimes we get to that point where we don't land on the same place of an issue, but we can still land in unity with one another. This isn't just kind of agree to disagree. It may be that we don't end up agreeing on the outcome or the answer to a situation. But there still needs to be unity in that moment. And until we achieve unity, we haven't achieved resolution. We haven't reconciled this to the point where we're glorifying Jesus. If we're still in a division in terms of our relationship with somebody else, because we're hung up on the way that the outcome is is landing, we, we need to say, I still need to do some work to come to that point of reconciliation and unity with that individual, even if we can't come to that point of agreement on the issue. Fourthly, lastly, require yourself to be loving. Make this a requirement of yourself. Hold your tongue. Don't say anything that would be inflammatory or accusatory of the other individual. Don't don't say anything that would demean them or cause them to feel slandered in front of you or misunderstood. Don't take their point of view and exaggerate it out to your benefit and to your argument. All that does is cause division. I know a number of people who view divisiveness and, and confrontation as a good way with, to go within the kingdom of God. Do you know that when Jesus confronted people, he wasn't confronting people who were drawing close to him. He was confronting people who were trying to keep people, others, from getting to God. So be very careful with the way that you use confrontation. You have to be seasoned with grace with your words, peace-loving, gentle, and compassionate, the word says. And so there's not a place for an aggressive behavior, aggressive approach to demean somebody, to push back against them in a way that would cause them to feel less than, a way to feel like you're right and they have to go away, the loser. No, when we require ourselves to be loving, we take an approach that says, the only good approach out of this is that we walk away in unity in Christ, that we can find ourselves and say, we're one in Christ. And we still embrace one another in Christ, even if we don't agree agree on the final outcome. There's never an opportunity to not be loving towards somebody. And if you find yourself in that place, the best thing you can do is to hold your tongue, to pause and say, I need to not say anything at this moment. I just need time to where I can be in a place where I can operate and say things from a place of a loving heart and a kind heart versus an argumentative heart, a divisive heart, and one that wants to prove my point and dismantle your argument and dismantle you in the process. There's never a place for that. We should always operate in the same manner that Jesus operated. Yes, confronting hypocrisy, confronting those who are gatekeepers of keeping people away from God. Yes, there's room for confrontation from that. But there's not room for you or I to make a point that we're right and somebody else is wrong. We should always ascend to that point where Jesus has the most prominent place and we maintain the unity within the body. This is a lot. I've presented a lot to you in this message and it's, challenges, it's challenging for us because we know that we'll be misunderstood. We know that we'll be taken advantage of. We sense that this path will cause us to give more than we'll take. And we can see how in all of these things, this is the pathway that looks most like Jesus. Misunderstood. Maligned. His views twisted. Him not speaking in defense of himself, but simply pointing to the Father as best he can walking in humility, even amongst people who are aggressive with him, accusatory of him, but not defending himself, but allowing his words to be twisted. Always taking a loving approach with people, not always cowering back, but always bringing clarity, but with love and compassion, never aggressive or trying to make a dig at somebody else's expense. This is the way of Jesus, and this is the way he calls us to so that we can maintain unity, the bond of peace within his body. If we're going to live it, we certainly need the Spirit's power. But I want to encourage you to take heart in this because Jesus has already prayed for you. He's already prayed for me in this. This matters to him. And so he made this a priority that he prayed it not only for the disciples, but for his church today his church for tomorrow and going forward that we would be one we would be one with one another and one with the father the son and the spirit and in doing so that we would reveal his glory that we would both receive it and show off the glory of the kingdom to the world around us putting on display that he is the one who was sent from the father and he is the victor over death Hell and the grave. He knows how essential this is, for if the glory of the kingdom is going to be on display, you and I are going to have to walk in unity with one another. So we have His prayer and we have the empowering of the Holy Spirit to accomplish it. I think it's fitting to close this message and to close this series of messages. I want to finish with a prayer for all of us. Not my own prayer, but It's the Prayer of Peace by Francis of Assisi. We're going to put it on the screen and I invite you to join with me in praying this prayer as we close out this message and this series on the kingdom of God where Jesus Christ is king both in 2020 and forever. Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow charity. Where there is injury, Pardon. Where there is error, truth. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying to ourselves that we are born to eternal life. Amen.
0: You can find more resources for this service at nhgj.org. Email us your prayer requests to prayer at nh4gj.org. If you are a new follower of Jesus, we have a free resource for you called Following Jesus. To receive a copy, send a request to info at nh4gj.org. If you would like to partner with our ministry through giving, you can do that online at nhgj.org giving or by mail to six four one Horizon Drive Grand Junction, Colorado eight one five oh six. Thank you for being with us and may the Lord bless you.